Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. My guest today is my friend, Jen Dalton, who is an author, facilitator, coach, healer, and polymath. Her work in the world flows from facilitating healthier local food systems and fundraising for an orphanage in Haiti to talking about her recently published book of Butterflies and Bullies, which we get into in this interview. It is a Judy Bloom-inspired story about her experience being bullied in fifth grade. She's also launching the Better Friends Club soon, which will be a virtual space for women to transform friendship with self and others and heal from childhood bullying and other friendship challenges. You can follow her work on Instagram at Jen Dalton Author and via her websites, which will all be in the show notes www.butterfliesbullies.com, kitchentableconsulting.com, and hearthstone-village.org. In this conversation, we get really candid about female friendship and the places that often people get stuck. We talk about how we get stuck and how we have been stuck and how we got unstuck. (laughs) We also talk about her work in Haiti and how it lights her up how to move from a formerly bullied person into being a strong and resilient adult, and especially around dealing with female friendships that are limited in their capacity to hold all of our different storylines. And we have a beautiful conversation about how lifting other women up and not comparing ourselves and letting go of judgment and things like that actually helps us in our life and our performance and our ability to live in our purpose. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I would love to hear what you think. Please feel free to leave a review or a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Your support means so much. I know you have limited amount of time and attention and you just being here is such a joy for me. So thank you. Hi, Jen Dalton. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Hi, Paula. Well, I am like super grateful to be here. I'm just really excited to have this conversation with you. We were just talking before this and it's been like such a tragic week for me, just like with my family and then also for you because I know you do work in Haiti. There's been so much going on in Haiti. You told me that you were on evacuation watch. What did you call it for your house? evacuation warning warning so like because of the fires in california so there's just so much going on so i just wanted to acknowledge that and like life happens and we're constantly adapting and i feel like that's going to be the way that it is from now on unfortunately yeah i mean i feel like adaption training is like i feel like that's the conversation we need to be in like as a society it's like There's so much collective trauma going on and individual trauma and like being adaptable. I know my husband and I, we do workshops um, sometimes. And one of the ones that this is, I just saw it on our whiteboard the other day that we had just talked about doing how to be adaptable because this shit is real. Yeah. (laughs) We haven't designed that one yet, but it's just up there like, how could we be helpful in this conversation? 
Totally. And so you and I have known each other for a long time. We actually did the math. We met 13 years ago at an event called Slow Food Nation, which was a really cool food and farm event to bring more attention to the food system in San Francisco. We went on to start Civil Eats, civileats.com together, um, which really looked at food justice and food issues. So extending from that, we had some conversations in the San Francisco area called Kitchen Table Talks, where we would come together and eat really good food and talk about these kind of justice issues. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about how you got into food originally and like what led you in that direction. I have always worked in food, meaning when I was in high school and college, I worked for a caterer, I worked at a pizza place, like restaurants and that whole scene was always a part of my life. It was how I made money. And even in my early 20s, I worked in restaurants in San Francisco. But really what it was for me was, and what got me involved with slow food was my heart was breaking because we were losing our biodiversity, not just in our planet and you know, the loss of different species and different foodways, etc. But just the commodification and mollification of America and also seeing that loss in different countries. I traveled, unquote, around the world for a year with um, my ex-husband. And I just saw everything personally. I saw so many forests destroyed and reefs and cultures. And it was just making me feel like I needed to, when I came back to San Francisco, come back and do something different. And I had been involved with Slow Food prior to leaving as a volunteer with Slow Food San Francisco. But when I got back, Slow Food Nation just was, was starting and everyone, they were hiring. And so I got on staff. It just became for me like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to work in local food systems, help people figure out how to create them, Right now, uh, my husband and I have kitchen table talks and turned it into kitchen table consulting. And we do a lot of facilitation work, helping people do collective impact work, helping folks figure out how to collaborate because we talk about collaboration all the time, but a lot of people just don't know how to do that. And then we also have started having conversations over the last two years with folks around giving up your ego around this like nonprofit industrial complex work and saviorism, et cetera, having conversations about what do we need to give up so that we can start sharing our resources with communities that can take those resources and actually do what they want to do with them. So uh, we call it, forgetting what we call it, <laughs> but we've uh, delivered this workshop, you know, just for the last two years and just hundreds of people. And it's just been really impactful. Yeah, that's great. And also, I mean, what we started doing together was writing based, you know, and so you've always, have you always been a writer? Like, I mean, I really invited you on because I want to talk about your book of Butterflies and Bullies, which we're going to get into. So we'll definitely talk about that. But I'm curious, like when the desire to be a writer started. Well, it started in second grade. I was a part of the Young Authors Program. I'm not sure if they still do those, but we got to make our own books and just the whole process of, of putting my words on paper. And I used to be fascinated with typewriters. And I was a youth in the 70s and 80s. And so, you know, typewriters were what you used. And I would go over to my grandpa's house and I'd want to enter Reader's Digest contests and like write little stories. And he was very encouraging of it. I've always been a reader and I still am. I grew up in a house of readers and it's just such a huge passion of mine. And, you know, writing down our thoughts. Also, it's just this sense of like things come to me. And if I don't write them down, I don't feel complete. 
it's like I have to write it, even if it's just a sentence. I have to get it out of me and put it on paper. And then I just feel better. I'm really at, about getting at the core of something and the truth of something, which is why with Civil Eats, for me, what was really important was interviewing all of these people who are doing really great things and elevating their voices and their programs and their actions. It's just from this place of like, this is really happening. I'm really into like, what's real, <laughs> you know, and like, how do we get real things out there and documentary type work, et cetera, which is really what my book was about too. It's, it was about how do I share my real feelings or the real feelings of being bullied or going through that experience so that women and young people, I mean, the book's really probably geared for junior high students, but a lot of women are resonating with it like, so that people don't feel alone. So they feel you know, some kind of connection with their own feelings and it gives them an opportunity to just, just kind of be with that a little bit. It's really amazing to me because I could not put the book down. I just want to say to like everyone listening, please get this book. If you dealt with any feelings of inferiority or like difficulty growing up with girl kind of harsh girl frenemy kind of relationships... It's really helpful because the main character just speaks so clearly about what it is to be gaslighted by a bunch of girls who seem like they like you and then they don't, you know, and like you could have gone in such a simplistic way with this, but it's so complex and rich and like such a gift. So thank you for that. Thank you, Paula. It means a lot coming from you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And and so female friendships is, is like a big part of this. Like I said, just before we started, like elevating the conversation around how women can support each other. It's sort of like we turn on each other as sort of a first response. Like I'm in the process of like really changing that, like really thinking abundantly about supporting everyone around me and that actually lifting the, the whole experience, you know? So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that too. I think a lot about female friendships. And, you know, we talk a lot right now, sort of in the collective around the rise of the feminine. I think that we have a lot of opportunity to make a difference in the world, you know, from more of a matriarchal standpoint, reigniting that matriarchal leadership, etc. But we're not going to do it when we're bringing each other down all the time and judging each other. And like, I just feel like especially women in their maybe 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, like we have a lot of healing to do before we can be those leaders that are going to, you know, maybe help the younger women kind of see a path forward. I mean, of course, they probably like I'm just seeing so many more younger women have got their stuff together a little bit more than we do because they have so much more support. However, my big thing is number one, gossiping. It has to stop. Like, why is it that we use gossip or stories about one another as currency? I just feel like we could be spending more time like sharing our ideas with each other, talking about what's igniting us, talking about how we can be supportive of one another. I mean, maybe some people think that's like boring or something. I don't. <laughs> to me, that's way more exciting. Yeah, it's way more exciting than just talking about, oh, did you hear what Lisa's up to over there. It's like, I, you know, is it really relevant to what, what if we want to create a world that we all want to live in and like really co-create that, then we have to stop gossiping and stop caring about gossip. You know, I'm like definitely one of those women. I've not read a gossip magazine and like forever. I grew up in a house where like People Magazine and Us Magazine were everywhere. So my mom was like addicted to them. And she, my mother is like the epitome of a gossip person. She loves gossiping. 
but it makes her feel, I think that's her maternal instinct is to know what's going on with everyone and kind of being like, that's her caretaking instinct. You know, a friend of mine and I, back in the early 2000s, we did a workshop with Girls Inc. And we developed a uh, workshop called Sisters to Sisters. And it was really for junior high students. And it was about how do we create like triads of friendship where you're, you know, you're really starting to train younger people and having empowering conversations with, with one another and like talking about interests, lifting people up as opposed to just being in the same old, same old gossipy conversations. So I feel like, and that resource is on my website, Butterflies and Bullies. You can download it and pass it around, use it. I mean, adapt it to adult friendships. But I feel like, you know, stopping this judgment piece of things is really important. I see in young people, they they seem to be kind of out of this judgment, superficial judgment piece. I don't know what's going on internally with a lot of younger women, but I mean, just in the way women are expressing their bodies and fashion and just so much more woke than we are, et cetera, than we were. And I think we're learning so much more about being like releasing judgment, I guess, more so than younger people. So I don't know. That's the biggest piece for me. It's just so much of it is like, oh, she's got, I want, you know, what creates a bully is a sense of in, of inferiority, right? The girl who becomes the bully, it's like she sees maybe her power slipping or her, a friend being taken away, you know? And I think like, just like you said, it's like, how can we engage in more of an abundance conversation? Like there's enough for everyone. We all love everyone. I mean, you can be loving and still get mad at someone. You can be loving and still not be happy with what they said to you. But to use that a loving presence as like the springboard for engaging in friendship, I feel like that's a good Definitely. place to start. I mean, for me, friendship, it works best when there's a spirit of believing that the other person has the best intentions. And so there's like a safety that comes with that. But oftentimes there's that has to be built. There's trust that needs to be there. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's pretty instant. You feel safe with somebody, you know, so I try to be somebody who is safe. You know, I've been really working on that in general this past year, just really educating myself on social justice issues and trying to become a person who's safe. And it's okay if I'm not too, like, that's totally fine. Like if somebody is having their own experience, but also as much as I can cultivate that. So I feel that way in friendships too, you know, for other women to feel uplifted and noticing in myself, like um, the other day, I came in contact with somebody who's an astrologer who's also doing business coaching like I'm doing. And so I was like, huh, there's someone else in the space doing this. And I had this instant moment where I was like, that means maybe there's less for me. And then I was like, no, it doesn't. It means this is awesome. And it means that there's a place for everyone because I know that the exact right clients are going to come to me that I can help and the same for her. And so both of us are going to help more people if we're both here, because I can only help so many people. So I was just like, I did this like twist, you know, and it was really helpful because I was like, Oh, yeah, this is great. (laughs) This is great news. So I and I talk about that with my clients a lot. It's like, when you compare yourself to someone else, you literally are comparing two things that are just totally dissimilar. Like, I know because I've looked at so many charts. I've looked at like hundreds or even thousands of charts. And I know each of us is so unique. Even if we're twins and we're born one minute apart, there's going to be something in the charts that's slightly different. And it has an impact on our path. You know, and each of our unfolding is going to be different. 
And so when you're trying to be like someone else, you're going to just be miserable because it's not your path. It's just really powerful to remember that and to also just celebrate when we see somebody who has something we want because it's like, yes, it's possible. You know, I wasn't taught that as a child. So we all grow up in a system that keeps us pitted against each other. And we see it everywhere. It's in all the movies that we watch. It's in the way that we're taught at school, et cetera, et cetera. We're just, it's the culture and the system that teaches us to be this way with one another. I'm always aghast at like, why is it that we go to school and no one teaches us how to be human with each other? I just don't get it. It's like we barely even get a lesson in like how to, you know, use a checkbook. Mm-hmm deal with like, like life lessons. That's like, uh, maybe a half a semester in high school for some students, I never had that, or in junior high or wherever you get it. But no one's ever like doing ontological work with students. Like here's humanness. It's just like how we're we should work with one another. You I know, know. And if we taught meditation and like, communication, <laughs> kids would get so much further. <laughs> yeah. And, and just different systems too. Like, oh, here's the system that we're all living in. And there are other cultures that have different ways of viewing the world, et cetera, et cetera. You know? And we have so much to learn from other cultures that you can really only dive into if you're looking into it. And you know, if I hadn't been bullied in fifth grade, I probably would be unconscious in my friendships. But I wasn't given that choice. Like I had to become present and figure out how to be a good friend. And, you know, I definitely had my own reactions. You know, I was a huge gossip and just so angry, especially during high school. And I was so confused by my friendships. I mean, I had been with the same people since kindergarten, junior high, etc. You know, we were constantly going in and out of friendship groups. Like I didn't know what was what. I was confused. I used the gossip as a form of currency for sure. I will never forget the time. Shout out to Wes Priest if you're listening. He pulled me aside in yearbook or newspaper. We were in those together. And he's like, Jenny, you have to stop this. He's like, it's damaging your reputation. You know, like it's not who you are. It was just kind of like, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for calling it out. Ever since that moment, I was just like, how can I stop this? And it takes a lot of effort because people want to engage you in it. And they're going, and so you have to just tell people, look, I don't, I don't gossip. And then it just becomes a part of who you are. I mean, now, you know, all of my friends know I'm like Fort Knox. It doesn't mean they don't tell me things. Of course they still do. I mean, we're, we're still in, you know, empathetic relationship with one another, but I, they know that I'm not going to turn around and like tell my husband or call a mutual friend and tell her all about it. Yeah. But there's a difference between like holding something in confidence and seeking somebody to help you talk through something and talking about someone with whom you should be dealing with the thing in the first place. Like whenever I notice that I want to like talk to my husband about somebody that's like, I can't figure it out. I'm like, what is the thing here? Is it that I'm unable to verbalize yet to them what it is that I need? Is it something that I need to process inside? Or am I gossiping and just talking? And so like getting clear on that has been really helpful to me to be like, okay, I need to go tell this person that I'm having a difficulty with them instead of just talking about it, like do something about it. Yeah. And I think that the empathy part comes into that as well. It's like, we need to feel safe to go to someone and say, I need to have an honest conversation with you about 
what I heard or what I'm feeling about this. We need more training, I think, in how to engage in these real conversations with one another without it seeming like, oh, this is going too deep for me. You know, like I'm one of those people who you meet and we're instantly in deep, deep water. <laughs> you know, we're talking about deep emotions, deep philosophical, spiritual, et cetera, topics. And some people don't like that. I was having a medical procedure the other day and this woman was next to me and she like pulls the curtain. She's like, let's talk. Her name was Kate. She was so cool. She was like in her sixties. And, you know, we were at the end of of our very deep conversation that we ended up having where she gave me some incredibly sage advice. She's just like, yeah, I'm sorry. I go really deep with people. I said, me too. She's like, so many people don't like that. I do that. I said, well, then you need to stop hanging out with them. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because we were complete strangers and we just went there. Mm -hmm. It made such a difference for me, the things that she told me and she didn't even know me. And I hope that I made a difference for her. But we weren't talking about Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, and like, you, know, or, you know, or the nurse that, you know, was interacting with both of us or... Yeah, I just feel like we're going to get so much further on this planet if we just go to those places and deal with stuff and, you know, let's be real. You know, there's no time for anything else. So I- I'm curious... If I can go a little astrological on you for a moment. Sure, sure. Can I just say one thing, which you just pointed out to me? It's like, I've done a lot of values work and a lot of like purpose work, etc, which I know what this, this podcast is about. Every time I like try to dig a little bit deeper into, you know, like, how do I verbalize it? What is it? It, it is. It's being real. Mm. That's number one for me. Sometimes it's not easy to be real with people yeah. or be real with myself. But I just like you just said, it's like, well, there's no time for anything else. What's what's the point? <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I have the blessing of having your chart here and like just all the things that you've said about being bullied taught you so much and it got you to where you are. Like this is just so much of the work that you've done to be able to come to this place where, and we haven't even talked about this, but like you're helping other women who've been bullied. And this book is kind of like a platform that you jumped off of that. This is like how you work with the energy of Saturn in a productive way so that you get the fruits of that work. It's like some people when they're bullied, they may turn away and run in the other direction and be like, I'm never going to trust anyone again, you know, but instead you were like, huh, that didn't work. What, what about that didn't work? Let's look at it. Is it the way I'm showing up? Is it the people I'm around? Then you did some work on yourself and now you're teaching this to someone else, you know? And so this is really the medicine that Saturn brings us. And I love to point that out because people struggle so much with that energy. Yeah. I love working with the medicine and whatever the medicine is. And I always say, my, my prayer is always, show me my good way. I have to trust that the things that I'm doing, even if they're hard, like the conversations that I have are my good way. And so, but, you know, as you were saying, yeah, this book is, you know, a lot of people call it YA. One of my dearest friends who um, is a young adult and teen librarian, and she's like, yep, this is firmly junior high territory. So many grown women have been reading it and reaching out to me and saying, I needed to read this. Like, I didn't expect that I was going to go back and realize how much shame I have because I was bullied or I'm feeling shame because I was the bullier. 
I was on a walk with one of my close friends the other day and she's like, I just have to tell you, I just feel so much shame because of what I did. And, you know, we're so many of us are carrying around some kind of slight and we're living in it like it's real. And we're using it to inform so many of our conversations we're having in the present moment. It doesn't exist anymore. So we have to alchemize that shame and heal it. And that those are the kind of conversations I, I want to be having with women because I feel like we need to have space for that. And it's not like a women's group, you know, all woo-woo, et cetera. It's like, no, let's have a real conversation about how we're feeling and like what we did and get some healing and some forgiveness for ourselves, you know, and get that you're not the only one. And, and I really got this. I, one of the main bullies for me when I was in fifth grade remained a friend in my life for a really, really, really long time. And I never talked to her about what happened until one night I was at, I was in college and I was at a bar and I saw her walk by and we hadn't really connected in a while. And I ran up to her and I'm like, I'm just going to say something. And I just, I, you know, I said, do you remember this? And she's like, no. And I was like, God, I've been carrying this thing around with me for so long, this pain, this hurt for years and years and years. And she doesn't even remember because it's not that real for her. And instead of feeling angry at her, I was just kind of flabbergasted. I was like, oh, like that was another awakening for me. I'm like, okay, so I'm the only one holding this and keeping it alive. So what do I have to do to let it go? And so... I feel like there's also a conversation around being in that space where we're learning to grow out of victim consciousness and into something else. And I'm not saying the opposite of that is victor or vixen or I don't know what that <laughs> word is, but but just whatever's on the other side for us from feeling like a victim of something. And even if it was I was the bully, I bullied because I was feeling the victim of something. There's a lot going on inside of people and in their homes, et cetera, that we like you know, that we're putting out there in the world. And my hope is that people become more conscious of that, mm. who they're being out there. It's interesting because what, what you were saying reminded me of this quote by Brene Brown, where she says something about either standing in your story or standing on your story. I think it's her that says that. I saw that quote the other day. And it's like, how do we alchemize like you the word you used? How do we alchemize to a place where we share our story from a place of strength? And just to model to others that you can get through it rather than it being about being the victim of something, you know? And so there's something in there for me, like around recapturing the power of the situation. Yeah. Well, storytelling is, is the key. Yeah. And there's a woman who, uh, one of the women who did a, wrote a review for my book, she's a PhD, I believe in sociology. Oh, her name is Laura Martinelli. I'm sorry, Laura, I'm get, getting your last name wrong. But she wrote several books about bullying and how it affects you into adulthood. She has a book called My Bullied Past, Why Does It Hurt So Much? Her thing is all about retelling your story again and again and again, and ideally writing it. Because then you have the power to rewrite it. Rewrite it into more of an empowering story for you. It's your story. And so, you know, like, for example, my book, it's based in my story, but it's not my story. You know, it's the emotion behind the words, I feel is very much my, my feelings, my emotions, my hurt. And then that resiliency that is a part of the book too, where Molly, the main character starts journaling to get some perspective and objectivity around what's going on in her life and uses her journal to really, you know, transcend, rise up, find some new path, 
is also very much a part of my story. I've used journaling and storytelling to myself for years and years and years. And I would reread journals and I'd be like, oh my God, I've been so mean to myself. Like, it's time to start saying new things. And I always say, you want a new life, say new things. You know, that our words create our worlds. They call it spelling because it makes a spell. You know, all those things, like I really take that to heart. Again, like consciousness around our words, around what we write, just helps us steer ourselves in a good direction. It's kind of like, you know, in the mornings, like if you say mantra to yourself, or if you're, you just are expressing gratitude, it's like, well, then that's the world you're living into. You're grateful for what you have, as opposed to, oh my God, this day was just terrible, or this Mm -hmm. day is going to be terrible. Well, then it probably will be. Yeah. I just love at the end of the book that, you know, Molly's gone through this whole process. She gets really clear about what's really going on. And there's like this dual feeling of both heartbreak and transcendence in the same moment. I just really appreciated that. It's like we weren't left with a bow tied everything, you know, tied up. We understand that life is complicated. But in some ways she took back her own power because she spoke what was true for her. And you know, I feel like I'm spoiling the book, but I think it won't spoil anything if you read it. <laughs> so well the book too, it's about that first heartache, Mm -hmm. that first heartbreak of friendship where you're like best friends with someone so deeply and then they hurt you. And you're like, oh, I just didn't think this was going to happen. But it does, right? And like oftentimes heartbreak can be blindsiding Mm -hmm. to us, right? We're just like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, what did I do? And that's another piece of the story is like, I spent years telling myself I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm not good enough, nobody likes me, you know, oh, I I did this wrong thing. And now they're all going to make fun of me, etc, etc. But we have to start telling ourselves new things. And that's where the transcendence comes, I feel like it's like, even if it's in increments, you know, it's like, can you just be just a little kinder to yourself and other people along the way? It's a pendulum, right? Or it's a kaleidoscope, it's a rainbow, you Mm -hmm. know, it's constantly shifting. If you are looking for better ways to understand astrology and yourself, you are in luck because I have a course out now called The Planets. And it goes in depth into the stories of the planets, their characteristics, how we can have a relationship with them, how they may afflict us and what to do about it. You also learn a lot about karma, about Vedic astrology and what it is, where it originates from, how to read your chart. So it's a pretty in-depth look and a helpful tool for you to better understand astrology. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to weaveyourbliss.teachable.com. You'll see the planets there and you can click through and learn more. So I'm curious if you want to talk a little bit about the work you're doing in Haiti with the the girls there and just, are they okay right now after this earthquake and everything? Yeah. So the earthquake happened about 80 miles from Port-au-Prince and they live in Port-au-Prince in a neighborhood called Delma. They live in Delma. And I work with an organization uh, as a volunteer It's called Hearthstone Village. We support Ravel Martinel Orphanage Foundation, which is an orphanage that was 
founded by two Haitians who now live outside of New York City. Essentially, we are an orphanage foundation that takes girls in from the traditional orphanage process in Haiti. And we take in girls that are family members of folks that Lucy and Jay, the founders, know through their community whose parents are, you know, just so poor that they can't really take care of them anymore or they're at risk of being sold into slavery or prostitution. What our goal is, and I feel like I like always say, hashtag not just an orphanage. We raise money to send the girls to private schools. And all of the schools in Haiti are private for the most part. You have to have money to go to school. So a lot of orphanages traditionally bring in teachers and they'll hire teachers and they'll conduct school at the orphanage. But then when the kids turn 18, they're back on the streets and their education is over. And that's not what we want to do. I mean, we are really about empowering these girls to A, break the cycle of poverty through education, B, become leaders in their own neighborhood if that's what they want, or to be able to be, to excel uh, to the extent that their aptitude and desire you know, leads them in that direction or whatever excelling looks like for them, but through their own choice, right? We send them to different schools that have to do, you know, with their aptitude. And some of the girls go to like a neighborhood school. Some of the girls go to a school outside of their neighborhood that's a much more higher academic institution. We've got over the 10 years that we've been a part of this, we've graduated eight girls from high school, which is like a huge achievement. And we have two of them in university right now that are going to like, they'll be entering their second year. And we just support them throughout the whole process. We're, we are in partnership with a, a second house that they can live in when they're 18, because they do get invited to leave. You know, you're not really supposed to stay there because the bed then becomes open just to another child. And so right now we're supporting 33 girls ranging in age from like one to 22, essentially. And some of them are doing, um, the graduates are taking like, you know, a beautician course or a secretary course. But at the end of the day, they all love to read, (laughs) mostly. They're all speaking French, which is sort of like the, the more professional language of Haiti. If you only speak Creole, you're probably not going to have as many opportunities as if you can speak French. And a lot of them have pretty good English and are studying Spanish at school as well. And, you know, just are are going to have a leg up from a lot of the other kids that are in similar situations. On Saturday, when the earthquake hit, you know, we're in pretty constant conversation with everyone there. And we got news that they're fine. They got shooken up a little bit. And some of the girls that are there lived through the 2010 earthquake. And so they felt pretty resilient. And they were there to take care of the others and be like, everything's going to be okay, you know. And they slept outside and just they're in a really secure compound you know, but it's just devastating. It's not just the earthquake, it's the civil unrest that's going on there. Yet, like I, I, I was telling you before we started this conversation uh, that I'm reading this book called Paradise Built in Hell about like the resilience and the joy that comes from devastation and disaster. There's a part of me that's like, okay, this couldn't have come at a worse time for Haiti. But maybe it came at the perfect time. Maybe it's just what the Haitians needed to create something new for themselves because it's that coming together to help each other in disaster where people really shine and new leaders emerge. And I don't know, who knows what might come from this? I'm just, I'm really praying that 
the best outcome is yet to come for Haiti, but we'll see, you know, I mean, so we're, we just focus on this very small community. We pay our staff like a living wage and they get room and board and their, their kids can come and be a part of the community. They, we have free healthcare through an amazing organization called the sunshine fund that's out of Miami. It's just a really, you know, a really fulfilling thing that I do in my life is be with these girls. And I love going there and hanging out with them and beautiful. So yeah, give me a link as well so that people know how they can support this project. And we'll put it in the show notes as well. Sure. Yeah, we're always looking for education sponsors, which is where you get to have like a personal relationship with a girl. We have just ways of you can give once, you know, I mean, anything makes a difference. The exchange rate in Haiti means that our American dollars go a long way. Mm -hmm. So tell me like how it relates to living in your purpose and what that means to you, like having this beautiful connection with these girls in the organization and doing work to give back. You know, I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I've been thinking a lot about my purpose as I... Well, I've been just thinking about it a lot my whole life. (laughs) I've done every class. I've, you know, engaged in almost every religious slash Zen, Buddhist, Taoist, you know, Hindu philosophies, etc., trying to really get at it. And I've really gotten to a place where it's, this is not about a doing for me. It's not an achievement. It's not a, a thing that I produce in the world, but it's who I'm being. And for me, and love is at the core and joy is at the core. And so it's like in every encounter group slash, you know, class I've taken, the message is always, you're very joyful and very loving. And that you just being that is really helpful to people. It's taken me a long time to get that. You know, I've had to hear it again and again and again. So those girls to me represent just like pure love. Like that's who we are when we're with each other. When we go there, we're just hugging on each other and being with one another and just being totally present and joyful and playful and just just so much love. I don't know if I've ever experienced love in that way. And I'm not a mom, so you know, I don't have kids of my own. And so that was a big part of why I've spent a lot of time and energy in girl empowerment, because I just feel like I've had a lot of time and energy to give to that because I don't have my own kids. But these girls are like the ultimate expression of that. And it just feels really, really, really good. And, you know, I mean, sometimes there's the work of doing it where you're like, Oh, I don't want to get on this call, or I don't want to make this email or just have to do the work. But you're like, but we're doing it because we love these girls. And so there's just always this kind of love energy behind it all. And that's where I feel like it's connecting to my purpose and Mm -hmm. being real and and all of that. While you were talking, I I was thinking it's such a a Virgo rising kind of thing to like want to figure it out. And like the Mercury energy is so powerful in your chart, the communications like through writing and and everything, you know, like it's such a signature in your chart and you're so supported in that, you know, so it's so beautiful that it's, it's had such an important role in your life. Sometimes it may feel burdensome, but (laughs) it pays off for sure. I think you told me you wrote this book and then it like sat in a drawer for a long time. Yeah, I wrote it in my 20s and 30s in, in San Francisco, you know, at numerous cafes in one hour increments. It took me 10 years to write it, which... I remember Dorothy Allison, a great novelist, said, you know, it takes 10 years to write your first book. That's how much time you should give. 
especially if it's something personal. So anyway, that's how long it took to write it. When I finished reading it or writing it, I got an agent and I had a New York City agent for a while and we tried to sell it. It was at that time where, you know, oh, if you don't have a blog presence, if you're not a rising star, you know, in the blogosphere and it had that YA meets adult reading component. And it was before YA was widely read by women, I think, or, you know, adults. And so we had just a hard time selling it. We worked on it for about a year. And, you know, finally, she's like, I've just given this my best and we're not finding any buyers. And I said, okay. And I, and I remember sitting on my porch stoop and I read it and I laughed and I cried and I felt really proud of myself and I felt complete. I put it away and I just kind of forgot about it. And then my new relationship that I'm in, which actually isn't so new anymore, it's 10 years old, (laughs) almost 11. You know, my husband was like, Oh, so you wrote a book? Like, what is this book you keep saying you wrote? You know, because like, sometimes people are, you know, as writers, you're like, yeah, I wrote a novel. You know, and they're like, Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, it's just sitting in a drawer. He's like, well, let me read this thing. He and I, we have a two person book club, and we're both pretty well read people. (laughs) So I'm like, fine, read my book. And he really encouraged me to put it out there. And so I'm, I've self-published it during the pandemic and it gave me something to do that was creative. And now I'm really finding creativity in getting it out there and talking to people about it and also in seeing how it's shifting what I do like as a facilitator and a coach. I'm birthing something new around it, which I'm calling the Better Friends Club right now. It's like being better friends to ourselves, better friends to others, but really just kind of having these multi-generational conversations around womanhood and friendship and healing our shame and and really getting past how our stories limit us, etc. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting evolution because I published it, I guess it's been over 15 years since I wrote it. And then obviously, you know, I've re-proofed it and given it some finishing touches. But yeah, I feel really excited about it. And I just recorded the audio. So it's available as an Audible book? (laughs) Almost. It will be releasing probably in September. So can you tell us more about how people can engage with the Better Friends Club or like wherever they can find you? My website, butterfliesbullies.com has a link where you can sign up and just get, and get on an emailing list where okay. I'll, I'll start to send out some information about it. Essentially, I was going to be doing the very first in-person Better Friends Club event. I was really looking forward to it. And I designed a really fun conversation around, you know, these kind of deeper feelings. And I'm just going to make it virtual. I'm just, you know, I'm going to release something virtually here relatively soon and put it out there in the world. Yeah. And make it maybe it's better as a virtual event. You'll reach more people for sure. And when it's available, please let me know and I'll share it on my stories. Or if we haven't had this conversation, then we'll put it in the show notes. But there's a lot of ways in which the virtual environment might be more conducive to people really sharing themselves because the feeling energy around, you know, who we're being with one another you can turn off your screen or give yourself a different name if you want. That's one of the things that a friend of mine and I've been talking about when I was going to do it in my where I live. It's that we have such a small town mm. that and all a lot of women were interested in coming and we but we were both wondering like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to go, you know, because we definitely everyone knows everyone and then it's like, oh, now everyone's really going to know everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I I was wondering if I could ask you some rapid fire questions here as we wrap up. Sure. Okay, great. So what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? 
Ah, so much. Um, I'm a big fan of Rumi. Okay. The quote is like, live life as as if it's rigged in your favor. That life is not happening to us. It's happening for us. And I don't think those two things are connected in a particular poem, but they're just sort of the vibe of some of the things he's talking about. And that really helps me a lot, especially when I'm going through challenging times. It's like, this is happening for me. Okay, in what way? You know, how can I learn from this as opposed to feel like it's happening to me? Yeah, I carry that with me a lot. I feel like I want to get it tattooed somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Live life as if it's rigged in your favor. And it's like, in some ways, as a white woman, that feels really weird to take Mm. in because it it already is in some ways rigged in my favor, Mm -hmm. I guess. But emotionally, it helps me a lot. Yeah, if you combine that with like the generosity of spirit and like lifting all boats and valuing that everyone feels good here, then I feel like you can't go wrong because you're doing... And what you were saying earlier about like, how are we using our privilege and how could we step down from our ego and like change our relationship to that? Like if we're implying all the things that you brought in this episode, (laughs) I think we'll be doing great. Well, and also thinking that life is happening for other people too, mm-hmm. right? And so when I'm dealing with difficult situations with people in my family, for example, it's like, well, they're going through what they're going through. It, I really truly believe that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And so if that's the case, then what is the spiritual lesson that this physical being or the spiritual being in a physical body is having for them? Mm-hmm. Just it helps me wrestle, I think, in my own mind with some of the hardships that are going on in the world and and just who am I as a part of that. Mm -hmm. So So when you're feeling anxious, confused, or frustrated, what is the first thing that you do to ground yourself? Well, that has happened recently, just this last week, uh, a lot. (laughs) Uh, Breathing, obviously, huge. Like I just take really, really deep breaths, but I also get on the ground. I need to sit and like, or I need to put my legs up the wall or I need to be in child's pose or I need to like do happy baby pose or just something. I need to like, I need to get on the ground and get low and breathe and just reconnect to my deepest center because. Otherwise, I blow up. And sometimes I hide. So I've had some situations where I found it really helpful to like go sit in my closet and just kind of get away from the thing (laughs) for a little bit. Yeah, I feel contained. Yeah, I've hidden in my closet and I've hidden... We have a West Valley van. I've hidden in there. Uh Like, especially if it's something going on in my house. (laughs) Yeah. You've got a lot of kids in your house, right? Uh, Sometimes. With the pandemic, we had a a high school senior graduating at home and a college senior graduating at home in the last year. It's been a little emotionally trying for everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what is your favorite hot beverage? Hands down, it's the coffee for sure. Love coffee. And this next question actually comes from you. You were the one that you used to do these interviews on Civil Eats. And one of the last questions you would ask is, what's the last meal you would have on Earth? So I'm getting to ask the originator of this question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the originator of the question. Well, but for me... Yeah, I loved hearing what people have to say about it. And I was always just like, huh, that's a good one. So of course, I've thought about this a ton. I feel like, you know, hands down, my answer is always 
deviled eggs. <laughs> to me, that's like, oh, it's like such a decadent, like almost kind of like we had just a really decadent thing to eat. Mm. And I'd want something decadent and and homey. And yeah, I grew up in the Midwest and deviled eggs are totally there. And it would be great if it was a deviled egg with, I like to do them with um, smoked trout mm. in the mix. So my own recipe, maybe. <laughs> and probably a glass of champagne or something. Yeah. Even though I don't drink, but it was my last day. Uh-huh. I know. I'm, people not? are always like, should I go with the really like devious thing? Like the thing that's not healthy or should I go with the healthy thing? It's like, it doesn't matter because it's the last day. <laughs> right. I would go for full umami. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's going to give me that umami? And um, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what part is non-negotiable? Uh, yes, I have a morning routine. Um, the coffee is the non-negotiable part for sure. I need that too. And of course, I've like dealt with my own feelings about coffee, but I've made peace and we are one now. I really, I spend a lot of time reading in the morning. I need time to get my brain working. And typically what I'll do is I'll read some kind of spiritually oriented book first thing. And then... Um, I have to exercise like just lately I've been really into dance. I do this online thing called obeyfitness.com. Shout out is awesome. I just I'm loving like their dance cardio and just I got to get my body grooving and I'll lift some weights. And then I'm really working on incorporating right now the creative 15. Mm. Right? I listened to your podcast that you did with Liz Kimball mm-hmm. and she was reminding me that we have to show up like we're a mom picking up our kid at soccer practice. Mm-hmm. I was like, that made a huge difference for me. And I'm like, I really, I want to show up for my creativity in a bigger way. And so over the last three days, I'm bringing it in, but I'm saying out loud right now because I'm, I'm keeping it. It just feels so good to just show up for 15 minutes. Yeah. And so I think we make these monumental, like it has to be this hour long thing and it doesn't always fit in, in the life. But if I have my journal and it's just sitting there and I just go to it and I open it, it feels really freeing to know that I can do it. I have 15 minutes. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I can make 15 minutes. Yeah. So I've been writing little poems and getting my emotions out, especially around all this devastation and fires and, you know, all the stuff. I've just really needed to get it out mm. these last few days, especially. It's the, the Creative 15 has been really helpful for me with that. So tell us about a person who inspires you and why. Right now, I'm going to go with my sister, Sarah. She is a uh, she's a nurse. She works full time. She's a mom. She has a seven year old. She's a wife, and she's an amazing friend. And she's creative, and she's constantly just going after what she wants in life. Like she just sent me an essay to read. She's applying for a fellowship. You know, she just got finished her NPs last year. And now she already wants to go back to school and learn something new. And it's just I feel and and she also wants to learn French. So she's trying to learn French and she's taking tennis lessons. And she's, I mean, she just, I'm like, where do you find the time? (laughs) She inspires me in so many ways. I'm like, well, if she can do it, she's a mom and she works full time. I work part time. I do not have children. Like, I'm sure I can find some time to pursue those things that interest me where that I'm curious about. I I can get very caught up in like, what do I need to be doing now? What's on my list, you know? Mm-hmm. And then once the to-do list is over, I'm like, oh, well, now what do I do? Your to-do I list I'll... gets over? 
Well, for the day, I'm very particular about like, this is what I'm accomplishing today. Okay. I do not, I do not overstress myself or overtax because I've been down that road. Yeah. and It's not healthy. I hear you. I'm sort of joking. I like to do three things that I'm definitely going to get done today on the list. And then there's like two things that I might get done. And it's okay if they don't get done. That's yeah. That's how I've gotten to deal with that. But my to do list does always seem to form first thing in the morning. It's like, oh, wow, there's still more. Oh, yeah. Well, it's never going to end. And that's one thing that um, I learned from a teacher that I had in my 30s. He's like, make a list of all the things like first, just start with a list of like all the things you have to do, like brush your teeth and make a meal and, you know, all that stuff that's going to happen every single day. And then make a list of like all your big projects and all your little things. And he's you slowly begin to realize like, nothing, it will never be over. And so it helps you get really intentional about how you're spending your time. Like, oh, okay, like all these obligations and things aren't going to stop. So what do I really want to do? And I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of like taking care of the, the big rocks, as they say, and just the other stuff, it'll happen. I'm on this huge imperfection kick right now too. So it's like, well, get done if it gets done. And as we say here in Mendocino County, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. An imperfection kick. It's so beautiful because I feel like that's also in the healing, you know, that women need so often is because we think we need to be perfect about everything. And it's sort of empowering to be like, yep, guess what? I'm not perfect. That's yeah. just how it is. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm going, I'm going on an imperfection campaign right now with all my friends and with everyone I talk to. I'm just like, you guys, like nobody's perfect. And Joni Mitchell, I think she's got a great line about it, which I'm not going to remember right now. But it's just like, I was just, she's like, I'm being in my imperfect, per, right? The perfection of my imperfection, mm -hmm. right? And it's just like, I want to be more present to that because it's totally okay. Yeah, fully. So something people might not know about you. I'm fascinated by like reality, like what is it, right? Like the nature of reality. And I am absolutely addicted to listening to podcasts about like aliens and all the, the what do they call them? Like the deep mysteries of life and the like crazy unknown stuff and the stories people tell about like weird encounters. And I could just dive down that rabbit hole for such a long time and like simulation theory and just all of it. I'm like, what is this reality? <laughs> I love the intellectual challenge of it. Mm. And yeah, I just I like being in that space of like, I don't know. I love that. You definitely would get along with my husband. You've got to come visit us in Maine. We'll we'll like garden and cook and then you guys can talk about aliens. <laughs> oh, I love it. That'd be great. <laughs> um, so what's one thing that's bringing you joy right now? Well, aside from this conversation, which feels really good, I, I just I feel really joyful that we've got a house full of 19 and 20 somethings here. Like it's chaotic. And but um, my husband's son has a bunch of friends in town from Indiana. They're all just enjoying Northern California. I mean, even though the day they arrived, we were under evacuation warning. I'm like, well, welcome <laughs> to California, you know, and we're like teaching them how to like not turn the water on and use like let the water run while you're washing the dishes or brushing your teeth and how to compost and where you put the recycling because where they are from and it's where I'm from too. I'm from Indianapolis. Like you don't do those things and you don't pay attention to how much water you're using or how long your shower is. And we're just having a lot of fun with them, you know, making them big meals and having like just way too much food that they devour in five seconds. They're these huge guys who are all <laughs> rowers. It's just very joyful, their energy and their loud music and their Kanye and their 
sitting on their phones and laughing and playing chess and all the things they're doing. It just, for me, it's just such the abundance of life that can't wait for them to leave. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jen, it's, really it's been really lovely speaking to you. Is there anything else you want to share about how people can connect with you? Uh, yeah, they can reach me uh, on Instagram at Jen Dalton author. And my website is butterfliesbullies.com. And if you're interested in our food systems work, that's kitchentableconsulting.com. Yeah, I just I love being in touch with folks and hearing what people are up to and making new friends. So thanks so much, Paula. Thank I you. Just, I love talking with you. And I'm really grateful that it's been 13 years of knowing one another and just watching your evolution and yeah, you being too. my evolution within this relationship and all of it. It's total joy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula-Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode. 